the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, folks, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather every weekend like this right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. Uh, As always, Alan Dempsey does our engineering. Andrew Hurtliska is the producer. And Dr. Larry Crabb joins us here in this first segment, founder, director of the New Way Ministries. He resides in Charlotte, North Carolina, and his new book is out with the Baker Books. And it's a marvelous book, an important book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. Larry, wonderful of you to join me. How are you? I'm doing just fine, Pat. It's good to be with you by phone. What's the background on this book, Larry? My my confusion and my Christian journey. That's my background. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, raised in a very strong Christian home, came to know Christ when I was an eight-year-old kid, and I just assumed, as a naive, innocent little boy, that life just was going to work according to my script. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got into late teenage years, I was realizing that uh, not every prayer gets answered just the way I wanted it to, and I got so disillusioned for a while that I kind of gave up my Christianity Went into getting my doctor's degree in psychology, thinking I'd find answers there. I got disillusioned that psychology has helpfulness, but it doesn't deal with the real questions of life. So I came back to God, decided to give him a second chance. I'm sure he was grateful. And, uh, <laughs> and then i just been spending the rest of my life uh, thinking hard about, all right, what exactly is this Christian life? And God is always doing the right thing. God is good, I believe that. But in the middle of some of life's difficulties, exactly what good is he? What does he promise to do? And sometimes he doesn't make a lot of sense to the way we think. So I thought I better get some serious thinking about that for my own life, my own journey, and for the people I talk with. Larry, your book breaks down into four parts. I want you to explain part one. When God's ways make no sense, what then? And you share three stories and three answers. Uh, Fill us in on part one of your book. Well, part one, I basically take a look to see, I want to make sure, Pat, that everything I say comes out of the text. I believe a high view of Scripture, and I don't want to make up a lot of stuff. I want to Mm -hmm. make sure that God's Word is going to be guiding my thinking, because if I close my Bible and start thinking for myself, I'll get in big trouble. Um, But what I discovered as I was thinking through the Scriptures was that there's at least three guys I could look at as examples of when God ways make no sense and how two of them handle it very poorly. Mm-hmm. And one of them handled it the way I think that each of us really needs to handle it. I thought about Jonah first. You know, he was all pleased about the fact that Israel was doing pretty well at his time, and then God comes along and says, you only have one enemy left that's going to mess up Israel's life, and it's Nineveh, um, that I need to destroy them. But I don't want to destroy them, so Jonah, go give them a chance to repent, preach to them. And Jonah thought, was well, you're asking me to give our biggest enemy a chance to repent, and therefore they might exist, they might come along and destroy us. God's ways, you're making no sense. We're your chosen people, we're your beloved people, and you're not choosing to protect us from our enemies. What's going on? And so what he did, his response when God's ways made no sense to him, was to resist and run. 
He resisted his role as a prophet, and he ran away to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And I just think that's something which a lot of Christians are tempted to do, and God's ways make no sense. I've I've talked to a fair number of believers that were believers that were professing uh, Christ as Savior, who, in God's ways, it made no sense to them. They, you know, a loved one got cancer and died. I just had a really good friend who just four days ago, mm. his sister was killed in a car accident when a drunk driver hit her. Mm. And you hear that kind of stuff, and you figure, God, what are you doing? Uh, where, where, why aren't you protecting us better? And uh, my friend happily is a solid Christian, and he's not running away from the Lord, but we're, people are tempted to, and I hate to see people turn away from Christ when God's ways make no sense like Jonah did. So that's that's the first illustration that I'm afraid um, is a temptation for a lot of people, and even I kind of look at the temptation once in a while. I think I'm pretty faithful in my faith, but can be tempted. The second illustration I use is Saul, not not the old King Saul from the Old Testament, but the Saul who became Paul. And before he was a, a follower of Christ, he was raised in the Jewish faith, obviously, and went to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, leading prophet of his day, or leading Pharisee of his day, rather. And he apparently, he came up with this idea that the Judaistic religion eliminated the idea of the Messiah the way the Messiah came. And he must have distorted a lot of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament, but Saul had to distort passages like Isaiah 53 and a lot of others to uh, accommodate his way of thinking about God. He he, he, he distorted the, the, the message of Scripture, and he denied the passages of the Bible that made sense. And I'm afraid that a lot of in our, in our generation, we, we distort the gospel to fit our definition of the good life that we believe God should have promised to give us. And the good life that we want is, you know, no health problems, no kid problems, no money problems, life just going perfectly well. And then we deny so many passages that talk about you enter the kingdom through suffering. Uh, suffering is a, is a great part of the Christian life. Um, Philippians talks about the fact that we're going to learn what it means to suffer for Jesus. John uh, 16, the Lord ends up that little portion by saying to his disciples, um, you guys are going to have trouble, everyone's going to hate you, you're going to fail, and I'm taking off, so be of good cheer. <laughs> and it's like, what the heck are you talking about, God? And do we sometimes then distort the gospel to fit the entitled spirit that we have, and then we deny the verses that uh, mess up our wrong theology. And that's the second option that I think is way too common in the Christian faith. So that's number two. Uh, distort, and, uh, distort and deny. And then the, the one that is the real challenge, I think, of Scripture, and is borne out by many other passages, but I think about Habakkuk, the great prophet, toward the end of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, and he was looking at his nation, Judah, and they were really sinful at the time, and Habakkuk came to God and said, why don't you get me to preach repentance to them so they'll repent and become more appropriately living as God's people? And, and God's response was, no, I'm not going to ask you to get them to repent. I'm just going to send Babylon to destroy them. And Habakkuk said, what on earth are you doing? I know you can't stand evil. Uh, you're getting a, a, a nation that's more sinful than my people to destroy your people. God, it makes no sense to me. But he didn't resist and run like Jonah. He didn't distort God's message and deny what God was saying. He trembled because sometimes God's ways make no sense, but he trusted. And he said, look, I'm just not smart enough. You've got a mind that's above mine. Maybe he had read Isaiah 55, 8, where the prophet says through, God says through Isaiah that my ways are so far above yours that you can't understand me. Mm. 
And rather than trying to figure God out and trying to make sense of it all, he said, I really don't understand why you're doing this, but I trust you. I know you're good. So to me, the response that I want to live by for whatever years God has left for me is to tremble and trust. To tremble when it looks like God's ways are making no sense, but to trust that any God who would send his son to die for me and suffer like that, he's got to be good. I know he's good, so I'm going to trust that somehow the larger story he's telling that doesn't fit the script I've written from a smaller story is still a pretty darn good story, and I want to trust that for the rest of my life. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb is with us talking about his new book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. We've covered part one. When God's Ways Make No Sense, what then? Now, Larry, let's move to part two. When God's Ways Make No Sense, tremble? Why? What? How? Boy, a lot of deep questions there. Fill us in on part two. Well, you know... There are some parts of the Bible that don't market very well to the modern culture. And um, I'm not sure that uh, part two is the most marketable couple of chapters I've ever written. Um, But I think they square it with Scripture. And I think the issue really here is that, you know, when when we were born, you know, David said that in in iniquity did my mother conceive me. And what he's saying there is in the time of my conception, there was something really wrong with me. And obviously, it's the sin nature. Another way of putting it is, there's a demanding spirit, an entitled spirit that, you know, somehow in my life I feel, well, God, you know, I've been a pretty good dad over the years, and um, one of my kids, he's now 50 years old, hardly a kid, but when he was in his 15, 16 years old, he rebelled rather badly at us for a time. I remember getting so mad at God because I thought I was a good dad for family devotions, um, I was really good at teaching family devotions. I, I bought an over, overhead projector <laughs> to teach family devotions. My poor kids had to endure me with that. By the time they were five years old, they could define the word propitiation. And I thought, surely, God, since I've been that good of a father, you're not going to let my kids get any kind of trouble. And I believe it's the, I believe it's the suffering that we go through when God's ways make no sense, where we really have no choice but to tremble if we're honest, and in it's, our, it's our trembling that we begin to ask the, the basic hard questions. God, I'm trembling at the way you're operating. I'm trembling with the way you're, you're dealing with me. I'm trembling in your presence. You don't answer all the prayers I want answered the way I want them answered. So, God, in my trembling, I'm brought to a crossroads. Either I'm going to give up on you or I'm going to discover in the core of my soul, I really do believe you're good and I'm going to stick with you come what may. Larry Crabb is our guest from Charlotte. His new book is out, When God's Ways Make No Sense. We've got another segment with Larry. Uh, Right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Dr. Larry Crabb is with us from Charlotte. His book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. Larry, before we move on to part three... Uh, is there anything more we need to uh, investigate here in part two? Well, yeah, I think there's one more personal thing, if I can mm-hmm. get a little personal with you here. Mm-hmm. Um, for 21 years, almost 22 now, I've been struggling with cancer. Really? And, um, you know, I had a doctor tell me he, he could keep me alive until I die, which wasn't the greatest reassurance <laughs> ever. <laughs> but um, I'm also getting some pretty good treatment, and chances are... I'm going to die of old age because I'm already old, so I guess that isn't so bad. Um, but but I really 
uh, wrote this book partly in response to the fact that God, how can I believe you're good when really difficult things can come into my life that I really, really don't want? I know you're good, but there's something in me that um, I can find certain doubts within me. I can find questions rising up. And um, and I really, I, I don't want to leave you, God. There's a, whom else shall I, shall I go to? You have the words of eternal life, like like uh, like Peter said to the Lord. And um, so the kind of personal struggles on my part have really kind of been a one of the major motivations for thinking through um, that God doesn't always make sense of the way I would think a loving father would do things. If my earthly father is now with the Lord, but if he had the power to get rid of my cancer, to never let difficult things happen, then um, he'd do it. But my Heavenly Father has all the power, and he doesn't use it the way I really want him to sometimes. Mm. And I don't think there's a Christian in the world who doesn't understand that to some degree. And that was part of the motivation for writing the book. So that, that's kind of a big deal for me, as I, even as I reread what I wrote. How are you doing with that cancer battle, Larry? Well, I appreciate the question. I'm, going, I'm, I'm really doing pretty well. I had a had a big biopsy yesterday, but apparently the kind of cancer I have is one of the most rare forms that's very slow-growing, and I found a doctor in another state that specializes in my kind of cancer, and he responds very positively. He said, look, he said, let me treat you, and here's where he wasn't being silly. The one, he's the one that said, I'll keep you alive until you die. But he said, there's five or six different kind of treatments for your kind of cancer, and he said, I'm pretty confident that you just let me take care of you, and I think you're going to live to the normal old age, you're going to die of something else like everybody else is. So, and I have no symptoms, actually. That's the other nice thing. I'm, I'm uh, you know, just a cranky, tired old man, but beyond that, I have no cancer symptoms. Let's move <clears throat> to part three of your book. When God's ways make no sense, trust in God's unthwarted sovereignty. I, w- I want to hear about this, Larry. Yeah, that's, um, that's a phrase that I think I came up with, but I maybe somebody else has used it before me. I'd be happy to know if they did. But I've been wrestling um, for years. I've We've heard so many people say, I've said it, you've said it a thousand times, well, God's in control. And I hear so many people, when something impending that might be difficult, they say, well, God's in control, so we can relax. Mm-hmm. And the assumption that a lot of people are making when they say that, not everybody, I'm sure, but a lot of people when they say God's in control, what they're really saying sometimes, what I've really said in the past, is because he's in control, things are going to turn out the way I want them to. Every trial is going to become a blessing on my terms, because God and his sovereignty is not going to allow bad things to continue in my life. They're going to get better. Well, I struggle with that biblically. I just don't see um, a view of sovereignty that some people call meticulous, meaning that everything that happens is, um, is, is is controlled by God. If I stub my toe, well, God God determined that. God controlled that. If uh, if I have an accident with my car, well, God ordained that. I just cannot believe, and I don't believe the Scripture supports the idea that God causes everything that happens. He didn't cause the Holocaust. He allowed the Holocaust, but he sure didn't cause it because he's not the author of evil, and that was clearly evil. But what I do believe is this, that nothing is going to happen to any Christian, let me just talk personally, nothing is going to happen to me that is going to thwart God's purposes for me, but his fundamental purpose for me, and this is where it gets difficult, 
this fundamental purpose for me in this life is not necessarily good health. His fundamental purpose for me is to be spiritually formed into the image of Christ. Galatians 4.19, that Paul says, I'm the childbirth, I'm the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you, and nothing's going to happen that God cannot use for the good purpose of helping me, teaching me, releasing me, enabling me, empowering me to love like Jesus. And the way Jesus loved, hanging on the cross, he's taking care of his mother, He's taking care of one of the crucified people next to him. He's looking out for other people while he's in the middle of pain. Therefore, God's purpose for me is no matter what circumstances of life I'm in, no matter what my emotional state might be, I have the power within me because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Second Peter 1 4 says I have a new nature. I'm a partaker of the nature of God himself. That means I have the ability to live like Jesus no matter what happens. That's my doctrine of unthwarted sovereignty. God will allow nothing to happen to me that he cannot use for a purpose that at the depths of my heart I'm really thirsty for, to become more like Christ. And eventually, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, you did everything just the way it should have been done. No matter what went on in my life, you enabled me to do what I most wanted to be, and that's to become a little more like Jesus. That's my doctrine of unthwarted sovereignty, and that that, I think if we had a couple hours, we could discuss a lot of passages that I think support that. Um, but that's my view, and that just gives me great comfort when uh, when things get tough. We had, a, so six months ago, a little more than that, we, are, we had two cars stolen mm. within a couple of months of moving to Charlotte. What a way to introduce a new move. And, and both my, my wife and I really thought about this doctrine that God didn't cause these crooks to steal our two cars. But he gave us an opportunity to get known in our community as the new family that got their car stolen. And and the way my, my wife said to me, after we stood there looking at our empty garage one night, um, we have a chance to make God look good now. We have a chance in the middle of a really lousy thing, hardly the worst disaster in the world, but a super inconvenience. We have the chance to, rather than grumping and groaning and saying, man, life really stinks, what's the diff- what's the problem here? We could actually believe that there's some way that we could still be there for other people, even in the middle of the struggle of a couple of cars stolen. And that was just one little tiny example of unthwarted sovereignty in our lives. Larry, I want to move to part four. Uh, When God's ways make no sense, three, not stories, not answers, but three parables, and you reintroduce to us Jonah, Saul, and Habakkuk. So how does that work? Well, here, here's the thing. I, one of the things I believe about studying Scripture, I taught at a seminary for a number of years, and I really appreciate the top-level biblical scholars. I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm just a guy that likes to read the Bible and study the Bible and read commentaries. But sometimes it, it sometimes can happen in high theological circles that we get very, very clear on very important doctrinal issues, very important theological truths, Without somehow bringing them down to what how these how these truths are lived out in real life, and so I, I decided if I could just make up um, fictional stories that have some grounding in some people that I know I've been counseling people for a number of years and I've gotten to know a lot of a lot of stories, and, and I talk about um, uh, th- three parables: one that illustrates the the life of Jonah, somebody that really just forsook their faith. This was a guy that I again this is a made up story, but I could name a few names to fit the story a little bit. The story of a guy that 
Christian guy, strong Christian guy, an elder um, in his church, happily married. But then he had one of his sons go off the rails spiritually. Uh, one of his sons was doing well in the business world. He got cancer and he died. And this guy said, I can no longer believe in a good God if these bad things go wrong in my life. And that's kind of a modern-day example of what it means to resist and run like Jonah. And then uh, the modern-day Saul, you know, somebody who distorts everything. And this is a story of a, of a little girl who, um, who uh, was raised in a, in a Christian home, but uh, eventually when, um, when the, 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 the family fell apart, and her mother then married a, a, a pastor, but a pastor who really was preaching a false gospel, mm. a pastor who was saying that no matter what happens in your life, it's going to turn out well, you're going to be totally blessed, everything is going to be just great. And this woman, turned this young girl, turned into a, an adult woman who just believed what I believe is a false gospel, like Paul talked about in Galatians. You're believing another gospel. You've forgotten the true gospel. And the true gospel includes difficulties in life that we trust God to teach us how to persevere through good, hard things and to still be formed like Jesus in the middle of hard things. Well, this woman believed just the opposite, and she was sure everything would turn out just right. And she ended up marrying a very wealthy guy that was just terrific, and they had two wonderful kids. And she said, oh, isn't the gospel wonderful? Everything works out just the way I want it to. And then as it turned out in my little parable, if, I, if you will, uh, the rich guy found somebody else had an affair, and she was just devastated because the false gospel she was believing in was proven to be false, and she had no idea what to do. And that was just a modern-day modern day Saul. But then Habakkuk, I, again, um, made up a, a parable about somebody that went through some really strong difficulties, um, and I narrate the difficulties. But here's a guy that, that knew what it meant to tremble because it just was hard, but in his trembling... He, he discovered what is true of every Christian. When you really come to a, a point of wondering, God, are you really good? You've got to dig deep in your soul. You've got to spend time in Scripture. You've got to be talking to good friends who can encourage you in the faith. You've got to be in prayer on a regular basis. And when you really are walking the Christian life in the middle of hard things, of course you tremble. It's hard. It's scary to realize bad things can happen. But then you can really trust. And that's the, the third parable of what it looks like to to trust God. It doesn't mean you're going to be doing cartwheels and say, gee, I think life is just fantastic. I'm happy every day. I'll play golf tomorrow, and then i got a closing a big business deal the next day. I'll make a million bucks. That, that isn't the good life for the Christian. The good life for the Christian certainly includes lots of blessings. I mean, Pat, I'm, I'm blessed. i got a wife of 52 years, and she still loves me. That's kind of really saying something. Mm. And they got my both of my sons now are uh, middle-aged guys, and they're Happily married, they're walking with the Lord. I got two great daughters-in-law. I got five gorgeous grandchildren. So I got blessings coming out of my ears. But I just don't want to say, God, of course I have those because I deserve it and I'm entitled to it. What I want to say is, God, you've chosen to bless me in these ways, and of course I'm grateful. Of course I'm happy about it. But you've also allowed me to have cancer. You've allowed some other things in my life that I could go into. And you still tremble that God's ways don't guarantee that everything is going to go exactly the way I want it to go tomorrow. It's going pretty darn well today, but maybe not tomorrow. And I don't want to live and just, you know, just worrying every minute. I don't want to live like that. But I do want to say when something happens that's difficult, I still have the power within my soul to live the way I most want to live, which is to live like the Lord, to delight God, and to represent to anybody who's watching 
that God is worth trusting even when life gets tough. And that's the third parable. Dr. Larry Crabb is with us, When God's Ways Make No Sense, the name of his book. Uh, Larry, you end your book with a little section called Final Comments, Unsettled Trust. Uh, What's that about? Well, it's really just kind of trying to tie together everything I said in the book, because a couple of my editors that edit my book say, Larry, you have a love affair with commas. You make... You you make uh, mm, uh, mm, uh, mm, one sentence last a, a couple of paragraphs and mm, you need to mm, find mm, more periods. Um, so what I do in this last little section, I just try to bring it down and say, you know, it's really it's really important to realize that that God really is a God of love. There's no question about that. But He's a God of holy love. He hates sin, but He loves sinners. That's an old phrase people use, and it's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that when we have some people that uh, emphasize holiness without without bringing in the concept of love, then they just become rigid and say, we don't want you to tremble and trust us. Stop complaining about anything and just do what you're told and don't worry about how you feel. Just do the right thing. And that's being leading a holy life. No, it's not. It's leading a rigid, parasaical life. But then you have people that emphasize love and forgetting the word holiness, and they assume that love is something that we can define in our terms so that when uh, when difficult things happen, you know, do whatever makes you feel good. And if that's drinking too much, well, you know, God doesn't care. He loves you so much. It's really okay. And if your marriage is not all that it should be, well, you know what? Maybe you need to find a better spouse. And sometimes love can become a license for um, for sin. But if you realize that God is a holy God and a God of love, and those two are not incompatible, that God hates the sin, but he wants me to know that his love is faithful to me, his grace is new every morning, and all those truths in Scripture are true, and I can live in the recognition that a holy God who's going to conform me to live more to the image of Christ, and what he's doing in the process is loving the core of my soul, and there's there's going to come a day, and it may not come until I get to heaven, when I'm going to be able to say, God, you didn't make any mistakes. For a while, it looks like you took off. It looks like you weren't too involved with me but you were there all the time. Well, I want to trust that now, and then I won't have to live by faith anymore when you get to heaven. I'll be able to say, I am so glad I trusted you, God. Dr. Larry Crabb has been our guest. His book, When God's Ways Make No Sense, stick with us because we've got more uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Dr. Larry Crabb, our guest in that first segment in Charlotte, North Carolina. Brian Tome is in Cincinnati, a senior pastor of Crossroads, author of The Five Marks of a Man. We're going to talk about this interesting and important book. Uh, Brian, first of all, welcome. I'm, I'm glad that we can visit. How are you? Pat, I'm fantastic. It's great to be with you. It's kind of crazy to Talk to the guy who wrote the very first devotional my wife and I ever went through in 1988, Kindling. So it's an honor to be with you and your listeners. Well, thank you, Brian. The five marks of a man in finding your path to courageous manhood. Uh, how did you put this book together and why? Well, it started when my son was born. And I tell the story in this book of I put him, he was put on the table by the nurses, and he proceeded to immediately send a stream of urine up in the air that hit me in the chest and ran down my, my arm. 
And it was just God whispered to me at that point, that's what this son is going to do to you, just like you did to your dad if you don't get a hold on him. You know, mm-hmm. having a son, I think, is, um, I think has a disproportionate amount of responsibility that goes with it. I've had, um, I've had dogs. I like big dogs. When you have a big dog, there's a disproportionate amount of responsibility that you have to make sure that dog behaves properly. And this is the way it is with males. And I just rec- remember that when I was in high school, I gave my dad fit. I, I utter gave him fits. And what I realized was I kept trying to prove that I was a man, which made his life very difficult. And so I made a resolution with my son when he was born to say, I'm going to train him up to be a great man, and I'm going to have his walk be different than mine was. Let's start with uh, these five marks. <clears throat> Tell us about mark number one. Men have a vision. That's how you open it. And then you tell all about the boys here. Go ahead. Yeah. Men have a vision. A boy lives day to day. When I was a boy, I went to school, and I wasn't a good student in school because I I had no vision of how that education would help me have a better life in the future. I hated tests. I I hated all the things that were difficult because everything in our life is difficult for the most part that we bring ourselves is about the future about what I want to work into. And a man is okay with difficulty right now because he sees the vision that he's building to in the future where a boy will never have a vision for the future. He just wants the easiest day possible. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you think about, think about our problems, Pat, the people you know and I know. And this is, I would just encourage you and all the listeners to think about this and, and cycle through your brain all the men that you respect. And this is how I, I arrived at this. I'm calling it an ancient code because I just found that every man that I respect, every single one, has these five marks. And this one right here, I know people who are great to have a beer with. I know people who are great to laugh with. I, I know people who uh, maybe even okay to vacation with. But a lot of times those people, man, <laughs> I'm not going to be their lifelong friend. Because they just lack vision, and eventually, just having a good time, living day to day, it it isn't it isn't a deep life. It's not something that people want to aspire to. Uh, you mentioned Brian in this segment. Boys look for open doors; men break through barriers. Yes, yes. So, boys are always going to take the path of least resistance today. Today, what is the thing today? that is going to make me an easy life today. And so what that means is, hey, I just open up a door, and I go to the door. If the door's open, oh, there's a door open, so I guess God wants me to go through it. Vision is always about breaking down barriers. Vision is needed because something isn't happening. Why is something not happening? Because there's a barrier there. And if there wasn't a barrier there, then you wouldn't need the vision because what you want to see happen would have already happened because somebody else would have walked through an open door and gotten it done. The most difficult things that you and I will always uh, do are always going to be preceded by barriers. It's amazing me, Pat, how many people I interact with in, in Christendom who as soon, as soon as difficulty comes, as soon as difficulty comes, they assume one of two things. One, this is an attack from the enemy. Or two, God doesn't want me to do this. He's sending me a message. What is it about our faith and our time that the slightest bit of difficulty we back off? Mm. That's what a boy does. 
A man or a mature believer who's a woman does not do that. We take this, this difficulty as a sign of, yeah, that's why it's a vision, because God wants it done, and all the other little weenie boys, they're being, they're being discouraged by this wall. I'm encouraged because it shows me that I'm on the right path here. That's why God's given me this vision. Mark 1, Men Have a Vision. Uh, the name of the book, The Five Marks of a Man. Uh, Mark number two, I want you to fill us in, Brian. Men take a minority position. Uh, what's that about? Boys want to always be with the crowd. I used to be a, a youth pastor, and some of us are listening to our parents. You know, when, when we want our kids to go someplace, one of the things our kids always do is they say, well, who's going? Who's going? Mm. As a youth pastor, I always have to tell people, well, this person's going, that person's going. I need to help them understand that they're going to be in the majority. Because when you're an insecure boy, that's what you need. But when you're a man, you recognize that I'm going to have convictions that the masses are not going to agree with. I'm going to do things that the masses will never voluntarily do. Just won't. As a man uh, who's trying to walk close to Christ, I'm going to have some beliefs about how sexuality plays out that is going to be utterly misunderstood in culture. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to have some beliefs in how I operate sexually that's going to accuse, make other people accuse me of being a hater simply because I don't agree with them about how sex operates. And I'm okay with that. I, I don't want to be called a hater, but I'm, a, I'm in a minority position. When, you're, when a man starts to tithe, say, God has blessed me with income that he's given me, and I'm going to give him 10%, you will be in a minority position. When a man has a woman who cheats on him, when a, when a, when a husband has a wife who cheats on him, and, and, and the other guys in his life, the other boys, this is very regular, I see this regularly, the other boys say, well, drop her, you can find somebody better, drop her. The man takes a minority position, perhaps, and says, man, I cheat on God all the time, and he hasn't dropped me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swallow my pride, and I'm going to work through an unfaithful situation because I want to be faithful to my God. That's a minority position. We could, there's dozens and dozens of these. Men are very comfortable being in the minority. Now, now it's time to move to mark number three. You tell us that men are team players, Ryan. Yes, men are team players, and you, you probably should be talking about this one, Pat. I mean, you've got a lot of experience in the, in the NBA. You should probably just riff on this one for a moment, because we all know that someone who wants to be the MVP, someone who wants to be the all-time quarterback, someone who always wants to have the ball, oftentimes it's all about them. They're a boy. They haven't graduated from the playground. But a man, a man is up for being a team player. He, he may recognize when he's 12 years old that he has the best arm on the team, but the coach looks at his size and says, nope, you're going to play the line. And there could be a 12-year-old man that will say, you know what, I'm going I'm to play the line. I'm going to take one for the team. There may be a dad, a dad who understands this value, and he says to his son, son, your dad quarterback may come, but you need to be a part of the team right now and we need your beef on the line versus the boys that many dads are just constantly wanting the best and the immediate satisfaction for their dad. I, I, assume, I assume you've seen this in, in players, Pat. 
Oh, there's no question. You you uh, you analyze that beautifully, Brian. I want I want you to expand on that a little bit. Um, and and it's simply this: boys reject authority, men respect authority. That's an interesting topic. Yeah, it is. Absolutely, it is. And this goes back to the team thing. You know, when we're when you're uh, recognize that you're on a team, you recognize there has to be authority. And we're not talking about athletic teams only, so that's one way it plays out. We're also talking about your team at work. We're also talking about your team at your country. Your country should be a team. And boys uh, only will honor authority if that authority is doing what they want them to do. If that authority is making their life easier day by day, then that boy will respect that authority. But as soon as that authority makes a decision for the team that that individual doesn't like, he immediately will reject them. Some of my greatest times of manliness is when I had to go along and submit to authority that I disagreed with. I remember when I was playing football, I was on JV, and I just, I just asked the coach why I wasn't playing. I asked him why I wasn't playing because I thought I was better than uh, Greg Grice. If you're listening right now, I was better than you uh-huh. in grade. <laughs> I should have played. But I, I just asked the coach, hey, I'm just curious. I want to work on my game a little bit here. Well, what, what can I do? And, and that coach, man, he really had it up one side and down the other. He, he, he called me out in front of the whole team and said, coaching is not a democracy. And I think he overreacted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but lesson was learned that whatever the coach decides to do, the authority decides to do, that's on him, and i got to learn to play along with it. Also in churches, how many of us in churches, as soon as the pastor makes a decision or says something about theology that we don't believe in, immediately, man, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. i got to find somebody who's not pushing me. So these are just some of the ways this plays out. <clears throat> I want you to talk about one other area here. Our guest is Brian Tome from Cincinnati. Uh, the name of the book, The Five Marks of a Man. Uh, we're in part three, men are team players. Uh, I want you to expand on boys tear each other down, men build each other up. Yeah, a boy doesn't have a high enough self-esteem to coexist with somebody who's better than him. Boys feel like, unless you're coming down, I can't go up. Mm. Boys have a really hard time with someone else is succeeding around them. So boys, uh, they result in picking on each other, making fun of each other. Uh, even, there's even boys who are pastors. I'm sorry to say, boys who are pastors who love to use their social media and their influence to talk about how so-and-so is wrong, to rejoice in the shortcomings of somebody else. But that's not what a man does. A man, a man uses his power to build people up. A man will get under somebody voluntarily to push him up. A man will, will take his, his leadership aptitude and he'll use it to make somebody a better leader versus just themselves have all the sales. It's, 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 it's just a way of life. You, you pass things on to one another. This is what uh, good dads do, right? All of us as dads, we want our kids to exceed us. We want to set our kids up to go beyond us. And when you're a man, you do this in every sector. You'll give up a couple sales because you want somebody who's on your team to get that account and learn how to manage it. It just comes natural to you. 
One other topic before we move to mark number four. Boys live to play. Men play to live. Yes, this is this is the takeoff of uh, an old Harley Davidson motto they had. It was ride to live, live to ride, or something like that. And I think that this is one of the lighter parts in the book is I believe that most men are incredibly undernourished on play. You and I are created for pleasure. We have taste buds that can not just tell us whether or not something is poisonous. I believe God has given us taste buds to give us satisfaction and pleasure. We have a God that delights us. When we see our kids playing, it does something for us. It does something to us. I believe that God likes to see his children play, and I believe the reason that we're seeing so much burnout, and I might even say part of the reason why we're seeing so many women come forward with stories of abuse is that men are chronically under-challenged in play, and a man has to have some outlet, and unfortunately, men are having outlets in sexually inappropriate ways. So I want to make sure we talk about this. I believe men generally are undernourished in the area of play and rest. But a boy, when he gets up, that's his main thing. He just wants to play. But a man understands, my life is about play, but unless I play, I'm not going to recreate myself to have the output I need. That's what recreation is. Recreation. As men, we are generally, as I've seen, undernourished in relationship to recreation. It's why many of us have lives that are just going nowhere. We feel tired. We, we drift from day to day. We may have a vision, but we have no creative energy behind it. We haven't had any really breakthrough thoughts. And it's because we have to be playing. But we have to play, not because that's the end goal of our life. I get to 60 years old, I live down in Florida, and I have mosquitoes sucking the blood out of my geriatric skin. That was the dream for everybody in Pittsburgh where I grew up. God bless everyone in Florida, by the way. But but if you're if you're living your life so that you can sometimes somehow get to Florida and all you do is play all day, uh, that's, that, that's a boy. Brian Tome is our guest. More with Brian right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Brian Tome is our guest. He's in Cincinnati, senior pastor of Crossroads. We're talking about his book, The Five Marks of a Man. We've covered mark number one, men have a vision. Mark two, men take a minority position. Mark number three, men are team players. Mark number four, Brian, I want you to tell us about it. Men work. Yes, men work. When I was a kid, I had my first job as delivering papers. Pat, do you remember your first job, what, what it was? Yeah, delivering newspapers. Six, I was in the sixth grade, Wilmington, uh, so, Wilmington, Delaware. I did it for six years, Brian. Oh, yes, you've rung a bell here. Uh-huh. Well, it's unfortunate that this is a bygone era. I don't know that there's any jobs for young males anymore to deliver papers. It's a bummer because I'll tell you what, a man has got to learn the value of work. I can remember, and I know, Pat, you've got the stories as well, delivering Sunday papers versus the weekday papers, the satchel cutting into our, cutting into our shoulders, trying to figure out how I can ride a bicycle with one or oh. two paper bags on me. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, we, hate, we actually hate it then, but the reason why you and I right now are saying, oh, I love it, 
is because we realize that forged something in us as a young male that served us for the rest of our life. Work for a man is not dirty. It's actually life-giving. And for a boy, we only work so that we can play. We only work so that we can pay bills and just have a frivolous life. But as men, we see this as a way to add value. We want to constantly add value. So while I may sometimes retire because I can't have the same energy level anymore that I have right now, there's zero goal in my mind of never working. I will be working somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be digging my garden. I don't know if it's volunteering at a hospital. I will be working. This is what a man wants to do. He wants to add value. Uh, I do want you to expand on boys work to stake claims, men work to experience God. Explain that one. Yeah. When, when we work, we can be working in such a way that we're just going to be getting more for ourselves. So I am putting in hours at the office, but I'm only putting hours in the office so that I can have a bigger house, or retire earlier. I'm basically staking claim what for me, for myself. But I believe that God, when he has Adam and Eve, he puts them on the earth. They're working, and their working is certainly having an impact, but I believe that part of the power there is they're working with God, or they're working by God. They used to walk in the garden together before that fall happened. When we work, we can experience God in a way that we will never experience God when we binge-watch. In fact, how often have we gotten up from binge-watching a show and we're, we're all done with it and we're like, yeah, that was great. Oh, my gosh. I feel so close to God right now. Uh, that, that never happened. And by the way, I'm a big, big binge-watcher. I'm, I'm not saying I don't. I've got my, I've got my secret shows that I, I can't get enough of. But when I work... When I'm drawn to help start a nonprofit, which I've done on two separate occasions, when I'm drawn to, to start a church or for another counseling church, when I'm drawn to write a book to get concepts out there, the very process of writing at a computer or gathering fundraising support or whatever it is, I feel closer to God. And I believe your work, whether it's in corporate America or digging, digging a ditch, God can be experienced by you at work in a way that he can't when you're watching TV. It's time, uh, Brian, to move to mark number five. And here you say men are protectors, and I want you to explain that. Yeah, men are protectors. Boys are predators. Boys will take whatever they can and whatever they want. They'll just take, take, take. The whole world is their oyster for them to consume. But a man doesn't look at things that way. A man protects. I think the easiest way to describe this is what we see in male-female relationships today. Growing numbers of women are coming out of the woodwork talking about how a man has taken advantage of them. Why is that? Because that man was preying on them. Even women, even women who are, say, dating a man, what I like to tell guys is, hey, she says to you, that it's okay to go the next level sexually, and a boy will say, well, if she said, if we're consenting adults, then okay. But I say, think about the likelihood that this relationship is going to last. The likelihood that this relationship is going to last probably isn't that high, especially if you've been dating for two nights. You need to protect her 
We need to protect her future husband by giving them as few data points for another sexual experience. I don't care if she said that it's okay. You need to protect her future marriage and your marriage. You need to come into your marriage, bring as little sexual baggage as possible because you want to protect your future wife, even though you don't know her yet. This, this, this is an example of a train of thought that, that boys will never get, will never understand. This also cuts to our financial practices. One of the reasons why men tithe is they want to protect their church. They want to protect their church. They want to make sure their, their health their church operates really well. So why, one of the reasons why men love building into the next generation of males, maybe their boys even, is because a man wants to protect them from the same mistakes that I made in my life. It's just a natural thing that it courses through our brains and our, and our veins as men. I want you to uh, continue just to explain that to us in a little more detail. Boys passively watch others' spirituality. Men proactively lead others to true spirituality. What's all that mean? A boy will go around consuming spiritual goods and services from podcasts, from books, from radio shows, from churches. It just kind of goes around like trying to find something that makes them feel spiritual, that makes them feel good. He's constantly in consumption mode, and there's really no reciprocation of him building into others. A man, a man understands there's a lot of people out there that I want to give my life to. There's a lot of people out there that, that I need to teach, that I need to build into. I, I've, I've learned some lessons. So a man will lead a small group. Man will lead a discussion group. A man will say, how can I add value to the world spiritually? Who are, who are the young guys that are under my tutelage that I can talk to them about how to manage the money, that I can pray for them, that I can give them counsel? Who, who are those guys? Where, where, are the, where are the nonprofits in my city that could use my management expertise that I can actually build into? Where, how is it that I personally, me, I push forward? the agenda of God spiritually, that I become a spiritual leader instead of just a spiritual consumer. And then I want you to expand on one other area here, and it's this. Boys spend to zero on themselves. Men achieve financial health so they can give. Yeah, this was... (laughs) I I write out of personal experience on this, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I man, my, my early days, we talked about living and I going through uh, that devotional you wrote, Kindling, 30 years or so ago. One thing I remember about that, that stage of my life was I did not have a hold on finances at all, like at all. Money came in, money went out, and went out oftentimes to paint the book because I was in deep, deep in debt. And one of the key elements for me growing up was getting a hold of my money instead of my money getting a hold of me. If 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 a, if a male if a male is serving money, then that male is probably boy, a boy. If a male has money serving him, then that male may be a man. You either you either tell your money where it's going, or it's going to tell you where you should be going. And getting to a place where you can learn to spend less, you can have adequate savings and give. It's a huge, huge thing. I don't care if you make 
$30,000. I don't care if you make $300,000. Everybody tends to spend to zero. And I know people who are listening make $30,000. Oh, there's no way I would spend to zero if I made $300,000. Trust me, I'll give you the phone numbers and names of person after person that spends to 3000 What comes in just goes out, and then there's nothing left. And I'm not talking about savings. I'm talking about a value in the work of God. We've got to, as men, want to build into the work of God, and that means our finances. It's a manly move. Choose to live on less so that the work of God can go forward, and a boy will never, ever get that. Brian, <clears throat> Brian Tome has been our guest, <clears throat> author of The Five Marks of a Man. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Dr. Larry Crabb was our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. And then Brian Tome uh, plugged in from Cincinnati, and we talked with him about his book, The Five Marks of a Man. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page. Orlando Magic Pat, and uh, my most recent book is simply called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. We take a look at the great John Wooden and uh, his summer camps and what we can learn uh, from this coaching legend. In the meantime, have a great day in church tomorrow, a wonderful week ahead here in Central Florida, and we'll be back with you next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by hearing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.